0: Well, it's the Only One Shot Golf podcast, and I'm Jim Gallagher Jr. I'll be your host today. Appreciate Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. You can find Steve at steveazar.com. You can check us out on t- uh, Twitter, or you can check me out on Twitter, I should say, at Gallagher JRGC, uh, or on Instagram, Gallagher Jr., and also Only One Shot Golf on Instagram as well, or contact us, email us at OnlyOneShotGolf at gmail.com. Today, I'm excited uh, for y'all to get to know our. One of my favorite baseball players, Kendall Graven, now pitching for the White Sox, just signed a three-year deal, uh, went to Mississippi State, uh, spent four years there, got to the College World Series, one of the best guys in baseball. His wife, Tori, and my daughter, Mary Lyndon, were great friends. And now he's, uh, I think it's his seventh year in the majors, and uh, can't wait for you all to get to know him. And uh, let's get Kendall on the line. Uh, This is going to be a real treat for me, and I know our listeners are going to enjoy today's guest. We have Major League Pitcher Kendall Graveman. He's now with the Chicago White Sox, and he's joining us today. I want you all to get to know him. He's a big family guy. He loves to play golf when he gets some time. Kendall, welcome to the podcast.
1: thanks for having me. I know you text me couple
0: days ago and it's been it's an
1: honor for me to get on this and, and talk a little bit
0: with you wow this is great you know I've had uh most of the time we have golf college golfers and coaches and pros and all that stuff but I had Archie Manning it's always nice to get a view from another athlete uh, different sports and and bring someone in to kind of get their views on things and why they love golf like everybody does and in, in, in their sports but you're uh you just signed a three-year deal with the White Sox I know you're excited about that uh Tony La Russa, I think he's still going to be your manager that's pretty cool huh?
1: That's right. And uh, last year, after trade deadline, getting traded to Houston and, and playing under Dusty Baker. I mean, it's going to be two seasons in a row where I've played under, in my opinion, going to be Hall of Fame managers. And I mean, the credentials of both of those guys, the stuff I get to learn underneath the, the wisdom and the knowledge of years and years and years of experience, it's pretty special. And I hope that. I never take that for granted and I'll just take
0: something away from both of those guys. No, I'm sure you will. You won't take it for granted. I know you well enough that that is so cool. It'd be like playing. It's like me playing or Jack Nicklaus or Oliver Palmer or somebody like that. And you can just learn. <laughs> so much. Right. They've been there, done that. They, they, they seem calm. They are able to do that. You learn so much from from them, but uh, you know, you grew up in Alabama. What was it like growing up and did you play other sports and all that stuff growing up?
1: <laughs> yeah, I did. I grew up in Alexander city, Alabama, where, uh, Russell Corporation was actually started, which um, that time was booming, and you know now it's, it's kind of sold off and, and moved away from Alexander City, and the the big attraction there now is Lake Martin, and in my opinion, a little bit biased, but one of the most beautiful lakes in the country, and also has a golf course at Willow Point, and then they're also building a new one there on Lake Martin that will be done um, by fall of 2023, so... I'm excited about that and hopefully I can get in there and I went and talked the other day the development is beautiful but growing up that town I mean it's it's a we were 5A school all the way up to my junior and senior year and we turned to 6A and it was a little bit harder to compete with some sports but I grew up and played rec tennis I played basketball I played uh, football and baseball of course and uh, my brother wrestled and we were into all kinds of stuff. Soccer, played soccer all the way up till uh, middle school. And for me personally, uh, I really enjoyed that aspect of kids getting out and playing different sports and training the body how to move differently, and uh, just brings a different dynamic. So you're not burned out on one sport.
0: I'm so glad you said that because I hear that with golfers that oh, you can't play baseball or you can't play these other sports. Yeah, it's so important to be able to play those other sports. I mean, I hear every day from our, our pros or their, or their parents, Hey, you can't play this sport. You can't play this sport. It's going to mess up your baseball swing. Uh, right. I, I always felt like, and I, I mean, Thomas played, but my girls didn't play softball, but Thomas, I always felt like sometimes parents kind of pushed them in a little too early with them pitching. Of course, you're a pitcher. Uh, you start with coach pitch. Then I've seen a lot of successful places have machine pitch where you learn to hit first. Uh, You know what's kind of your what's kind of your view on that as far as uh, because you grew up playing it and and, you know your girls are going to be playing sports soon. I mean, uh, I would think like you said for their body, just learning to pitch too early or getting a pitching Mm -hmm. too early be better to be on a machine so they learn to hit first.
1: Right. Yeah. We uh we played machine pitch up until probably eight years old and then it was just my dad did a great job. My dad's a he's a PE teacher and, and a baseball coach for thirty two years. He still coaches baseball. Um, he's retired now from, from coaching, uh I mean from teaching, excuse me. But at that age we we got on a machine and at that time it was a, a jugs machine which was two big wheels, you put the the ball in there and you can you can plug in a speed and it plugs into a you know an extension cord and has power. And now you see some leagues going into more of a it's a spring loaded pitching machine. If some people out there have seen that i think either way is great uh and personally my dad also we played coach pitch um before we would throw the balls in a machine um your actual coach would get out there and throw basically batting practice to you and you would play a game that way and my dad was really good at hitting a lot of barrels knowing where the kill was going to swing so Mm. we had pretty good coach pitch teams and
0: uh we did
1: we learned to hit and play defense first and then as we got older my dad just I mean, he preached in heart, just throw strikes. Uh, we didn't throw any breaking balls. It was all fastballs. And just, you know, fill up the zone and get, get people out that way. And I think that was one of the most important things he could have taught me at that age, especially in the baseball world.
0: Yeah, it's so important. I, I, you know, that's the thing. I, I, it's just development. And, and muscles develop differently and in and, and different speeds. People are stronger. Bigger kids are going to be. Usually, you know, growing up, the, the pitcher was the best athlete. Uh, and, and probably still is one of the better athletes, but it's always one of the better athletes always pitched you know at least watching our kids and even when I did. but you you go on to Mississippi State. why'd you pick Mississippi State because you're pretty close to Auburn, you've got Alabama there, Georgia's not far away. Why'd you pick Mississippi State?
1: Yeah, I was committed to to play at Auburn and that was kind of a, a tough decision for me because I grew up the Alabama fan and I and, you know was, you know that, in this state, People may be listening from Alabama. I mean, they know how it is. It's, a, it's different. Um, my dad, was his friends were sending him Auburn gear when I committed. And he was like, I'm not putting this on to you. You still put on that field. <laughs> and, uh, and lo and behold, they had a the coaching change when um, Tom Slater, <clears throat> who was the head coach, got fired. And Butch Thompson, who was the pitching coach at Auburn at the time, recruited me at, at Auburn. He went on to be the pitching coach at Mississippi State Ah. under John Cohen. And that's how that relationship connected when I was at Auburn. Um, I was 45 minutes from Auburn, grew up. And then the coaching changed, the new coaching staff at Auburn had to turn over, and it was just like not honoring my commitment a little bit. And it it was just one of those situations where I believe the Lord was was opening a door to go to Mississippi State. And personally, one of the best things, and I'm so thankful to go uh, to Mississippi State, the tradition – I didn't even realize it before I went over there, but just the fan base and and the tradition of Mississippi State baseball was something that I got to experience. I experienced some highs and lows there, and uh, I am forever grateful and and indebted to that university for what they did in my career and the people along the paths. But that was, for me, how I got to Mississippi State, and I loved it because it was far enough away from home where I couldn't go home every Mm -hmm. weekend, but it was close enough where if I needed to hop over and, and I was feeling homesick, I could go home, so... That was a, a blessing for sure.
0: Yeah, that's kind of like me growing up in Indiana. I was close to IU, Purdue, Ball State was all there. They weren't necessarily golf powerhouses, but I went to Tennessee. But I was far enough. I wasn't going home every week. Right. and it, you know you grew up. I mean, you got away from. I mean, not that you want to be away from your parents, but you had to learn how to be. You're growing up to be an adult, and you were, you know, played under one, one of the best coaches in baseball. Like you said, tradition. I know because my family are all state fans of course they win the college world series this year but you also pitched in a college world series and you all made it to there what was that experience like uh and i know that your decision was hey i'm going to mississippi state another tradition but now you get to the college world series what was that like for you
1: <laughs> yeah jim <I> was <laughs> for me personally i was after my first year and i was actually listening <clears throat> to one of your podcasts and you asked me to be on, so I went back and listened to some of them. I, I really didn't know you were running a podcast, and I'm thankful now that I know, so I can listen. But I was, I was going back, and and you and BJ were talking and talking about kids calling their freshman year, calling home and parents, and being like, I don't know if I can do this with this the work at school and, right. and baseball. And that was me my freshman year. I, I called my dad. I was always taught, hey, we're not we're never going to quit during a season, but after something's over, if you want to reevaluate and not move forward, then you can. And I was doing – I was a mechanical engineering degree my first year, and I'm eight hours short of getting that degree. But I go to Mississippi State. We win six games in the SEC and lose 24.
2: Mm. Now,
1: I came up where, I mean, I didn't lose a whole lot, and I didn't (laughs) love losing, and that year was was tough. And for me, I called my dad. I said, I don't know if I'm built for this. Like, I don't don't know if I can make it.
0: And I'm thankful that
1: my dad, being the man that he is, said, hey – we're going to stick it out and you're going to continue to play and super thankful for that conversation that happened. But man, I, I, my freshman year and then moving forward to 2013, going to the college world series and seeing 30 plus thousand maroon t-shirts run in as soon as the gates open, as we're playing UCLA in the finals, obviously didn't get the job done, but it was the most memorable sports moment that I, I've had up until this point. And I think nothing will top it with the passion that comes with college fans and college baseball and, I just, uh, I still get chills thinking about it and I I often reflect back and and wonder how we didn't get two games and win those two games. But it was, it was one of those moments, Jim, that I'll never forget and, and just privileged and thankful
0: to be a part of that. Yeah. And you pitched in a world series too. Uh, and that says a lot. I mean, you just gave me chills thinking about it. Cause I know how much my father-in-law just loved baseball. He played there for one year at state. And then when they, of course mm-hmm. they won this, this year in Omaha, I mean, he was, using a nursing hole and I'm sure he was, he can't run, get out of bed, but he was trying to run down that <laughs> hole. Uh, just, just knowing to finally get a national championship for a school, just, just great fan base. And it's, it's, that's the cool part right. being in the FCC. And, of course, I went to Tennessee, and our baseball program is getting better, but nothing like the tradition that, that Mississippi State has. But you get drafted, but you don't go. And you you wanted to get your degree. You stayed in there long enough. You said you, you were you're getting close there to finishing that up and, and whatever. But you finally get drafted by the Toronto. What's that like when you get that moment? Like, did you dream about playing in the majors, or you just love to play baseball? Is that something you dreamed about as a kid? I did not.
1: I dreamed about SEC baseball, and okay. that's. A, The honest-to-God truth. Uh, I would go to the Hoover Met and watch SEC baseball tournament every year. Our team would go, my dad, and our our head coach would take us over there. And I just thought that was the pinnacle of college baseball uh, and the pinnacle of my sport in general. just I I was seeing guys in the SEC play all together, and I was like, man, I want to do that one day. Mm -hmm. And just the passion of the game, too. Um, I know a lot of... I've talked to a lot of golfers and this translates to any sport. I think when somebody just has a passion for the job that they do, it's really not a job at the professional level. And that's the way it was for me. When I got drafted, it was just another step to keep playing a game that I grew up loving. And it was never I never sought out to do this for money or fame. And I can honestly say that that the passion and just loving to play the game of baseball was something that meant more to me than making a dollar off of it or, or becoming famous off of it. And it's still that way today, and I'm thankful that I still have that feeling. And When I got drafted by Toronto, I didn't know what I was getting into. Like, I didn't <laughs> even know all the levels of, college, of of minor league baseball. I learned so much that first year. And then, thankful enough, I, I got drafted in 2013. And as a senior, you had no leverage, so I signed for $5,000. Wow. Basically a plane ticket and a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. and And then in 2014, I debuted in September, and I tell everybody, I was like, how'd you debut so quick? You only stayed in minor leagues a year. And I just tell them I was was really tired of being broke because I was making (laughs) $300 a month, you know? And I was just battling, just trying to make ends meet. And in the minor leagues, it's rough. And just thankful that I got the opportunity with
0: Toronto. Yeah, I don't think people realize how... You make no money in the in the minors. Uh and you no, had you guys you make no money. You had I think you guys had I don't know the exact number, six, eight, ten guys got drafted and they're all some of your good buddies were in there and they stayed a year or two. I just don't know how they could do it making that. They almost have to get another job just to survive. Uh it's kinda Yeah, it was it has to be different. It was one of those excuse me, Jim. Man,
1: it was in the off season. We would all go home, and it's something that we knew was baseball. So we would start doing lessons, and then and, and charging you know fifty bucks an hour or whatever, and just trying to make some cash, just to make you know to put food on the table and pay for rent, and then work out in the morning. Go hang out. If it was a nice day, we would actually go try to play golf a little bit, and then go do lessons as soon as get, the kids got out of school, and then we would do that. That would kind of be our routine, and it was just for us you do have to get another job at, at outside of baseball when the offseason starts
0: yeah d haynes who's from greenwood here uh pitched for memphis I, I don't know that he ever got pulled up but he played and pitched and pitched and pitched and he did the same thing he was one of my, he was my son thomas's uh batting coach and everything tried to help with them just right. to try to survive and but you you got, right. you got pulled up and you, that day you get the call saying hey i've made it to the majors what Goes through your mind when you get that call, like you just mentioned. I'm going to pitch in the majors, and I think you pitch, pitched against the Red Sox. Yeah,
1: debuting this Red Sox, it was amazing because I kind of full circle this year pitching in the postseason uh, against the Red Sox. I just reflected back, and it was you know seven years prior, and I'm sitting there in that same bullpen that I sat in when I got called up, and and, and if you've never been to Fenway. Uh, they sing "Sweet Caroline" right there in the, the middle of the eighth, going into the bottom of the eighth, and that's when I debuted. I, I felt like I floated wow. to the mound, and that was back then where you could, you didn't have the three batter minimum, so you could face one batter. The manager, you could throw one pitch. The manager could come out and get you if you yeah. wanted to. So I gave up a hit. It was a two-two count to Cespedes. I threw a little cutter away and he hit a ball to right field for a single one before before I could get the ball back from the outfielder. <laughs> the manager standing on the mound would be like, hey, good job, kid. I'm like, good job. I just gave up a hit. And then my run scored and I didn't pitch for 12 days. And I was sitting there like, ah, I'll never be able to pitch in this league again. I just don't know what's going on. But that moment now reflecting back on it, taking it from a big scope view, was just a dream come true for a kid growing up in Alexander City, Alabama, to be able to perform and put on a major league jersey. Man, it's um, it's one of those special moments that it, it, it'll never, never
0: leave my mind. It's a pinch me moment, isn't it, for you? Yeah, for sure. You know, I have a no pin- doubt. I and had, a, I had, I've had several of those playing. Like when you get to play Augusta and you drive up Magnolia right. Lane for the first time, it's like, oh my gosh, what have I got? I can I'll only you, imagine. I'll tell you where the biggest thing was the Ryder Cup, and 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 you've watched it, and you've you know you're a fan just like sure. everybody else. And and I walk in there and and they walk out and they play the national anthem. And I'm thinking to myself, what have I gotten myself into? You know, you're going like, oh, gosh. And, and it's like your, yeah. your body leaves, your mind leaves, you're on the first tee, you can't get the ball on the tee. I mean, think of that, go back and, and think of that first pitch you pitch at Fenway. What's, what's yeah. going through your mind on that first pitch, first batter up?
1: Yeah, to me, was don't hit the guy. Yeah. You know, because you're you're in that moment, you know, and for you, it's like don't don't top it or don't, yeah. you know, whatever it may be. It's just like get the ball in the air. And for me, it was just get the ball across the plate. And, and I think personally, and you know, I I'm, i didn't find out the story till later, but Seth is, is, is on the box, and he's talking to our catcher. And uh, we had a Latin catcher, and he's saying, hey, who is this guy? And the guy said, I don't know. I never called him. I mean, it, it was not <laughs> – <laughs> He's like, this is the first time I ever caught him. And he said, does he know where it's going? He said, I have no idea. And so I threw the first pitch, and Cessna, you could tell, was just like, ah, and that's kind of the way I was feeling, too. I'm like, hey, but I really don't know because the adrenaline's going. You lose feeling in your body. You just feel numb. And going back to that moment, I, you know, I had another one of those experiences in the postseason, and you just as a, a competitor and as an athlete, I hope that everybody can get in those moments because they're special, and you can't replicate that many times and when they do happen it's a little bit of a fear and a scary feeling but at the same time it's the best feeling in the world
0: oh this relates to golf so much Uh, this is you're the perfect person to have on with this this podcast i'm loving every moment of this you know i had a pinch me moment you know I, i don't know if you know this but i was in the major leagues for a day did you know that? I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you the truth. So I'm playing in the Western come Open on. at Chicago, and Ray Knight, who was then married to Nancy Lopez, walks up. And, and my and sissy, who you know, my wife says, Ray goes, hey, yes. hey, why don't you come to the game tonight? I'm going, Like, and he says, Do batting practice. Well, my caddy was a huge White Sox fan. You'll love that too. So he's a huge White Sox fan. He goes, "Oh my gosh, you could do bat practice. You got to do it. You got to do it." And I said, "Man, I'm in top five. I can't. You know, I've played baseball since I was 12 years old." So we go to the park. (laughs) There's no tickets. I'm going like, "Come on, Ray!" But we had tickets, fortunately. So we go to the we go to Wrigley, and I've never been to Wrigley. I grew up three hours from there. Had never been to Wrigley. Of course, was a Cubs fan because WGN. It's like you know, you grew up watching the Braves uh, in the South. So I get in there, and Ray pulls me across the wall. And he said, come on. And the security guard comes up. He goes, oh, this is my brother. He's good. So we're laughing and and everything. And I go, I'm not doing bad practice, dude. I'm in the second to last group. I got a chance to win a tournament. He goes, well, come on. We'll go to the locker room. We go in the locker room. And I'm going like, this is like a tour locker room. You got gum. You got cookies. You got all this (laughs) junk in there. And he 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 goes, you want to dress out for the game? I go, do what? So... I actually put on a Cincinnati Reds uniform, red shoes, red socks, the whole shmeal. I come out of the dugout, sitting next to Ray, and Mark Grace, who I knew from golf, is playing first base. And he looks right. over at me, and he calls me a something-something t- t- turncoat. I'm going, dude, I'm getting yeah. all the signals. I don't know anything of what I'm doing in this dugout. <laughs> and and we're sitting there, and I did not have any clue of all the strategy and all the things that went through that you guys know. And I, I'm sure all the, the coaches and all – Certain situations, throw this pitch, this guy does this, this guy does that. Right. I was amazed. It wasn't just throwing the ball across the plate and maybe trying to curve it, move it one way or the other. I was so amazed. Of course, the Cubs win, and I walk out, and I give Ray all the stuff, and I walk out, and my caddy goes, why don't you take the hat? Because cause it's not mine. He goes, they got 10,000 hats. And, 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 and before I, I – got to go back. Before we go in there and I go to Ray, I said, you know, the Reds and the Cubs, they don't like each other much. If there's a fight, what do I do? You know, I don't even know if i got a number on. And he, right. laughed, he laughed. I said, I'd take the ball, girl. She's 12. I think I can beat her up. <laughs> yeah. but, you just hang out. Oh, my gosh. But that was my first time to Wrigley, dressed out. I mean, I can't beat it. I mean, it's just you, you, can't, awesome. you can't do that. I know that, that bores our, our, our listeners a little bit, but it's so true when you get to go to such a, a cool place like that and, and to be part, part of that and, and, and all. But uh, you get traded to Oakland from Toronto, and you you go from you know the reliever to the starting position. I mean, that's a big change, uh, you know, because I think in college you started reliever, then you were the starting pitcher. Yeah. What was it like in, in, in Oakland uh, for you there in, in Torrey? Well
1: yeah. <clears throat> Oakland it was great.
0: They let me succeed and fail at
1: the highest level. There were times where I had um successes and where I was good stretch and times where I failed and they just stuck with me and said, Hey, they believed in me and said keep learning
2: mm-hmm. and
1: for that I'll be forever grateful um that they stuck with me. Uh we were an okay team while I was there. I was young, still trying to figure out my identity and who I wanted to be as a as a as a professional baseball player and that was on the field and off the field and just a lot of growing pains that went along with it. And then in 2018 had Tommy John surgery and went through that and it was an 18 month process. And all along the way, you know, figuring out that I had a benign bone tumor in my cervical spine that caused me a great deal of pain. And honestly, Jim, I I thought I'd never pitch again. I thought Mm. my career was over. Um, I was okay with it. Uh, and during those moments, uh, I, I believed that the Lord allowed that to happen in my life for me to, one, grow closer in my relationship to the Lord. And I was just, I knew who God was, and I believed in God, and I believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior. But during those early years in my career, I just strayed, and I was I was further and further away. And when everything slowed down and I felt anonymous and I just, you know, was by myself, <clears throat> I felt the Lord tell me, I've got to take you through this for what I have for you in the future. And whatever that looks like, I'm still, you know, on that journey. But I took the biggest step as as a father and a a teammate and husband during those years where I didn't play baseball because I was injured. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: then moving forward, the benign bone tumor kind of caused me not to be, or I couldn't throw enough pitches to be a starter, and it hurt. And I I called. They were about to put me on the IL. I was going to be done for the season. This was during – uh twenty twenty, the shortened season that we had in COVID and I called um, you know, my pitching coach and said, What if I could pitch as the bullpen? And I just thought that I could do it. And I looked I give you one inning it's better than no innings. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day I went and tried to be a reliever again and man it was uh it was something that just worked out and it clicked and and then the the velocity was there and, and the stuff started to get better and uh thankfully blessed that I had a a great season in the next um healed and I'm 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 good with that I dealt with it for about 3 years and thankfully that's behind me and last year being able to have a successful season and and, and pitching the world series and heck even getting traded right in the middle was uh, take a few minutes just to kind of tell you that story cuz listeners may not know Yeah I mean, tell us that traded, story that's get...
0: that's like a scene from the movie like Moneyball or yeah. one of those movies tell us that story <laughs> Right
1: I'm uh, playing, I'm dressed out with Seattle. I've played with them. This is my second year playing with them. And we're halfway through a season. In Seattle, the longest um, active franchise to to not make the playoffs in any sport. And it's been over 20 years. My goal when I got there was to get a team to the playoffs. And that was, I was going to put my head down and do everything possible to do that. We were having a good year. And we were about five games over 500. And I thought there was no way I'm getting traded. We play the Astros, who are in the AL West in the same division as the Mariners. And we're playing. We beat them. We hit a homer a grand slam, actually, in like the eighth inning. And, and win in the ninth, very exciting game mm-hmm. against the, the, the best team in the division. Come this field the next day, we're still playing the Astros. we got two more games against them. I'm about to go out and do my routine. It's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, games at 7. I get called in the office, and I knew that was not normal. And I get called in the office, they say, hey, we've traded you. And I said, to whom? And they said, to the Astros. Now, a lot of times you get traded, you get on a plane, right. you pack your stuff, and then two days later you go meet the team somewhere, whatever team you got traded to. Well, I went and packed my locker, and I walked 100 yards down the hallway to the other locker room, and I unloaded in that locker room, and I left friendships and relationships from one locker room, and five minutes later I'm meeting a new set of teammates. And, man, the whirlwind of emotions that went along with that day is just something I've never experienced, sadness. And the the relationship part that a lot of people don't understand with the team is how close you get going to battle and war with those guys every day. And, then competing against the Astros for so many years and not really liking them. Yeah. Hey, y'all are my teammates now. Let's go win a World Series. And that, it changed that quick. And it's one of those moments that I don't really wish upon anybody because I was kind of torn. But it was something that, and as my career goes on, it.
0: Yeah, not many people get to experience that, uh, that experience of of, of of going to a World Series, pitching for the Astros, and all that. That had to be so cool for you. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, you you mentioned that, so. And I know you said, you know, God is a big part of your life. I know on the PGA Tour they have a Bible study each week. And I know when you were in Seattle, I I think Mary Lyndon told me that you had a big part of that, and you all had a group that that did a little Bible study for that. I mean, that has to be big-time help for you, knowing, as you mentioned, God has a plan for everything. You've gone through all the injuries. You don't know if you're going to play. That has to be a big, great, like you said, support team. To having teammates, and yeah. and you were there kind of an emotional leader for those guys uh, in Seattle. And I, I I remember watching that interview, and I I teared up with you. Uh, that had yeah. to be just unbelievable, gut wrenching moment to to leave some of your good friends. And now, basically, playing against the team you're trying to beat out. Uh, that that just can't imagine yeah. the range of emotions. But you go to Houston, you you guys get to the World Series. What's it like pitching in a World Series? That that I just can't imagine. <laughs> man really.
1: <clears throat> it's in the first playoff game was a little bit well, was actually more nerve-wracking to me than than the the world series because you just say man the playoffs and you you all for me i always watched and, and for golfers out there that are achieving to be at the highest level that may listen to this and even you jim before you went to augusta you just that you always you watch it you never really picture yourself there but you kind of do and then when it actually happens it's like, man, I always listened to, to, to Joe Buck and mm-hmm. the voice and, and October baseball and, and seeing it and seeing the cold weather and seeing the whole deal. Like when I was growing up, October baseball was something I enjoyed watching
2: mm-hmm. and we
1: watch a game from start to finish. And then being in it, I was like, man, there's millions of eyes on us. There's only a handful of teams left. Like everybody's watching in the baseball community is watching these games. So I go out, kind of get my feet wet in the in the first couple of games, but then the World Series happens, and for us, the World Series was where this team, when I was with the Astros, was trying to get. And obviously, we didn't finish the deal, but I think a lot of people um, respected that team to get back there. They've been the World Series three out of the last five years, and uh, I, 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 some of the loudest moments were when we were in Atlanta uh, playing at Truist Park, and it's like they hit a grand slam right there in the in game five in game five um, to go ahead in the first inning and I thought I had to walk back inside because it just was so deafening loud and those are moments um that 60,000 people are yelling at you and they really don't like you I I kind of embraced and hey let's go you know it's us against literally the world it felt like and um those special special October games um I will not take for granted because I played with some guys I actually played the guy that just retired he played 10 years and never made it to the playoffs so just to play in a playoff game in the World Series it doesn't happen much and to be able to soak it in to sit there as I walk out and say man this is really cool and not have the emotions swirl so fast where you don't really take it in I was able to slow down and take it in and I think I was kind of most proud of myself to be able to do that
0: Oh absolutely cuz you do you miss the moment you're in the moment and you don't I yeah. I think about the Ryder Cup cuz people ask me I mean that was in 93 And I still go back and I start, oh, my gosh, I remember those feelings. And and, and you mentioned something at that elite level. I mean, what separates that elite pitcher that can handle the nerves, the elite athlete? I I ask my golfers that same question. What separates the elite from the average? Because you're elite. You've made it to the major leagues. What separates that elite athlete from the rest of them? Yeah.
1: Um, For me, where I create my edge and feel like I'm elite, is the time unseen by everyone else. And I go back to when I had Tommy John surgery, the 18 months where I was anonymous. I didn't step in front of a TV, uh, a camera, somebody watching me perform. I just every day put my head down and, and that continuous kind of boring work, you mm-hmm. know, stuff that has to be done that I heard the other day, someone says, people want to do what you do, but they don't want to did what you did. And yeah. I know it's not good English, but at the end of the day, a lot of people want to pitch in the World Series. A lot of people want to play on the PGA Tour. But not many people are willing to just put in that, that daily work that some people may see boring. But if you're an elite athlete, you see it as just the process of getting to where I want to get to. And there was not a doubt in my mind that I, I, once I became a big league pitcher, I was there to stay because I knew the work that had been put in. Mm-hmm. And that's where I create my edge. And I think that's what separates the elite from the, the not-elite is just how much you can put in when there's no eyes on you, how much work you can do. And that pays off to be able to slow the heart rate down, to slow the moment down when you do get in those big moments and trust all the work that you've put in in those big moments and then just go out and perform and have fun at the end of the day.
0: Oh, that's so well said. That's so true. That's so true. Now, do you mm-hmm. have like a – I know you have a coach You know, when you're off the team. Do you have like an instructor? Like I know golfers have – teachers and instructors do you have somebody you work with uh, outside your team i know you have a workout person i'm sure but is there a certain right. person that you work with on your pitching and in, in that uh off season or even during the season
1: i don't um off season i'm just kind of my own person which i you know i find it really intriguing i, I work out with trey Molinac mm-hmm. on the pga tour i know you know in jim and uh, patrick martin who played at vanderbilt and Lee Hodges, uh, who's on the PGA Tour right now, and yep. these guys, I just watch them go to their swing coach, and I'm like, I don't, I have a pitching coach, I just had to figure out how my body moves in space, now in season, I'll have some people throw some ideas at me, but it's not like I have someone in the off season that I'm going to, but also only have a certain amount of throws a day, I, you, can, you know, you can take batting practice all day long, you can hit golf balls then, until the sun comes up, but and, you know, throwing the throwing motion, you only have a certain amount of bullets in your arm. So there's a difference there. Now, I will send some videos to, to Butch Thompson, uh, who was my pitching coach in college, somebody I dearly trust. If I'm going through something, I'll say, hey, take a look at this. Uh, what do you think? Um, but as far as the daily somebody that I go see, that just doesn't happen in baseball. And and I wish that golf was a little bit would meet in the middle sometimes because I see these golfers and I'm like, Trey, you're working on something new like every week. I'm like, just go find your swing and go work on it. But it's fun for me to to get in the mind of a golfer because I'm around them every day and ask questions and, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And, And to see those guys, the wheels turn and they go try something new and try to hit draws and fades and this week I'm doing this. And it's very fun, but as far as baseball goes, we
0: don't do it. Yeah, you wonder why golfers do that. They get to a level, they try to change something, try to do something. <laughs> right. What do you learn from – let's talk some golf. What do you learn from your golf buddies? The, are you asking them for tips? Are you asking them because, I mean, a lot of athletes, probably a lot more on the mental side, but what are you learning from these guys? You know, you get to play some golf with them.
1: Yeah, I I learned that – and I tell Trey all the time, let me go caddy for you one weekend. I want to go do it. <laughs> He's like, come on, man, you, you don't want to do that. And I learned so much from the mental aspect. And I play golf because pick up basketball and flag football is too dangerous once I got into professional sports or risk of injury. And I love to compete. And golf gives me an avenue to compete with myself but also compete with others um, while I'm out there. That's why I love the game and also love the game because the details you were talking about with baseball that you didn't know I'm still learning the details of golf mm-hmm. that I didn't know because I didn't grow up playing. My dad had that old school mentality, It's going to mess up your baseball swing. Yeah. When now looking back, it ain't going to. Right. <laughs> so, um, I see Mike Trout plays golf like every day, one of the best hitters in the world, It's not the best. And I'm sitting there learning the small details, the mental side of what do I need to miss? How do I, how do I approach this hole? Um, how do I clear that shot and move on to the next shot? When I throw a bad pitch, hey, that pitch I can't take back. Once that ball leaves the club face, you can't take it back either. Once the ball leaves my hand, I can't take it back. That pitch is gone. I got to now move forward to the next one and try to make the best shot and or the best pitch that I can uh, and not really sit back and, and reflect on the negative that just happened. So um, that, to me, uh, it keeps my mind sharp. Uh I get frustrated with myself a lot uh, and try to control those emotions, but it is a a sport that I think everyone should play. It's an amazing sport, golf is.
0: Do you get to play during the season any? Because I know Glavin and Maddox and Smoltz, when they pitch Mm -hmm. for the Braves off days, of course their manager allowed them that. Do you get to play any golf during during the season, maybe on a a day off when you guys aren't playing? you got two girls, so that probably doesn't allow (laughs) any.
1: On the road, though, when they're not there, I get to play a little bit. When I was starting and I had four days off in between my starts, it was so much easier, just like Maddox and Glavin, they were starters, and, hey, you got four days, you're just kind of hanging before you start again. Uh, But now being a reliever, I have to be ready every day. and and You'll have 18 holes, and physically on my body, it's it's demanding.
0: But on off days,
1: I will for sure go. Um, A lot of times we'll have connections around cities, and and we'll get out and go. And I tell Trey Monak's, all the time when i was starting hey i work 31 days a year and i play golf the rest of the days so
0: for
1: me personally (laughs) it was so much fun when i started but now it's a little bit more difficult being a reliever
0: what's the best tip you got for golf and it's not the tip that my daughter told you that you could tell your girls put your hands behind your ponytail because hopefully you don't have a ponytail
1: (laughs) I (laughs) i was gonna say that's the first golf lesson i ever had in my life was uh was from mary langdon we're sitting over at where Tori lived and they lived and it was just like I, my golf swing's terrible Mary Lane help me and she would go out and just hit it straight 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 and I'm just like man this is this is so frustrating she just I mean she's shooting par and under par and I'm out here shooting mid 90s but I think from uh, for me personally recently I just uh, working on keeping my club face shut uh, I didn't really know how to do that up until last week mm-hmm. so I'm super excited about that and a lot of it happened in my wrist um, and I really – I worked on my, the rest of my golf swing the way it looked on video, but I couldn't tell, like, wrist location and where the club right. place was. We got on a track, man. And it's amazing what technology does. I, Man, getting on a track, man, in, in golf and also in baseball.
0: Do you? I was going to ask, do they have that in baseball?
1: Man, they have track, man. It's the best. They have track, man, obviously for golf, and golf listeners know what that is. But for baseball, they have very similar thing that spits out, you know, numbers for us to see and how to sure up your game. So I got on that and was able to kind of see club uh, path and club face at contact. And that was a lot of fun. So that's something I've been working on. Now it's a little cold to play golf, but uh, hopefully warm up. I get back out there.
0: When did you learn? When did you start playing golf? Was it in college or did you try to play when you were a kid? It was in
1: college. It was, um, we had a a season would go a month after school stopped for the spring semester. And you had a bunch of downtime. It was almost like pro ball. You just played baseball and hung out. And the MSU course would give us like a a very friendly monthly rate. Mm -hmm. And we just paid it. And we would just go out there in the mornings before practice. And I remember myself, Ben Bracewell, and a couple other guys that I played with would, hey, you want to go play golf today? Sure, let's go. And we'd go get nine or 18 holes in and hit it all over the place. But it was fun because we were competing. And that's when I started playing
0: golf. That's cool. What's your what's a, what's your favorite golf course you've played so far? I know that's a hard I really, question.
1: No, it, it, I really like Blue Jack National. Oh, okay, um, that's in outside of Houston. Yeah, Tiger's first design course in the U.S. and I like the way it sets up for me because it's a little more wide open and I, I, it's one of those courses that it's just so pure and uh, they always keep it in good shape. So I like it out there. That's one of my favorites.
0: You're going to Chicago, and there are so many. Uh, great courses up there. You're going to have a blast up there. If you had a dream foursome in golf, who would it be, including yourself? So I guess you'd have to add three people. Yeah, uh, so me,
1: uh, Tom Brady, I think Lionel Richie. I don't know why, I just like Lionel Richie. And the last one being um, Derek Jeter. Wow. I think that would be my dream foursome.
0: Do you play music when that you're playing golf? You have Lionel Richie playing, obviously, when you're playing golf.
1: No, yeah, I play some music, but I've been watching American Idol. I just think he's an awesome guy. It's somebody I'd like to hang out with for a day. And I don't know if he plays golf or not, but it'd be fun to get him on the golf course for three or four hours and, and hang out and talk.
0: We get him to get out there and play some golf with us. <laughs> That's what, right. <laughs> what's what's your lowest score you've shot so far? 74. Wow. And it was
1: actually a couple days ago, uh, about a week ago. I was super pumped. I went 70. After I got that swing tip, I started hitting the ball the way I wanted to. I went 76, 74. Dang. And I was like, "Wow." Oh, and then it got cold. So, uh, Trey gives me a lot of shots when we play because I play a lot with him. And I'm trying to get my shots down. I don't know what my handicap is, but he always, you know, throw me a handful of shots out there to make it competitive.
0: Yeah, you got to take all the shots. I'll take shots from you now if you're shooting those kind of scores. <laughs> I'm going to need some help. You know when you turn 60 like me, you get to move up a set of tees. So, uh, That's right. You know, play it forward, as they say. But uh, when, <laughs> uh, when, when do you head off uh, to Chicago, or not Chicago, because you got spring training? When do you head off to spring training? Where are, you, uh, where are the White Sox training? Yeah,
1: they're in Glendale, so we'll go out to Scottsdale. Love that time of year mm. out there. I actually play a lot of golf and catch the waste management while I'm out there. And man, what a tournament uh, wow. that is! <laughs> if you want to watch golf, it's sometimes hard to get around to watch golf. But if you want to party, you go party. But, yeah, uh, that. <laughs> That um, should be sometime mid-February. We're going through collective bargaining agreement and trying to get all that settled with the owners. So I'm kind of just sitting on G, waiting on O. Um, when they tell me season's going to start on time, which hopefully we navigate that correctly and everyone's happy at the end of the day and we'll get a season started on time. So it'll be sometime mid to late February, I would imagine. Uh, spring training for five or six weeks in, in Arizona and then off to Chicago and try to survive the first month and a half of cold weather. Ooh, yeah.
0: Well. I grew up in that stuff. Oh, I forgot to ask that's you. Right. I mean, do you guys have to pl- use a certain glove or shoes or do you have endorsement deals? How does that work for you? Uh, okay.
1: Yeah, we have endorsement deals with shoes and gloves. Um that's really it because Nike owns the rights to all of our our uniforms. Right. Uh used to be Majestic, but now it's Nike and so you can make a little bit off of, of Rawlings or Wilson or any other glove company. And then I've always wanted this since um, Mississippi State. is something yeah. I've stuck with. They've been loyal to me, and I, I've been loyal to them.
0: Do you get to pick a number? How's that? How's that happen? I, I always wondered that.
1: <laughs> yeah, they gave me 49 in college. Right. And everybody was trying to, like, all up in arms about, hey, I want this number. Just cover them high school. You got whatever number you wanted. Right. right. You're probably the best player on your team. I looked at the guys and said, "I'm just glad to have a number. Yeah. So, no, I, don't, I ain't gonna cause no ruckus and make nobody mad. Just give me a number and and hopefully I can stay in it. And that kind of, that 49 just stuck with me. Okay, uh, because of uh, the performance in Mississippi State, and I just I was kind of and then as it goes in baseball, if there's somebody that's older has more tenure than you, <clears throat> and he's coming to your team, someone trades or you get to another team and they have your number." Like, they can pay for your number. They can Really? Yeah. So that happens. Uh, happened to me, uh, and then I went to 31 for a little bit, and then went back to 49. So that is uh, the way it works in baseball. You get all kinds of gifts. You get watches, and some people just money, uh, computers, all kinds of – I mean, whatever you want. If there's an older guy that wants your number, yeah, you can kind of ask, hey – <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> so what will, so what will your number be in Chicago do you know that yet did you get to be 49 we put in
1: for 49 okay that was um, something that wasn't taken and there's not a retired number 49 in Houston that's a retired number so I couldn't wear it there and um, so Chicago we put in and then we went on the lockout so I didn't hear back from them <laughs> hopefully it'll be 49
0: absolutely your girls uh, Lila just watching Tori who we, you know I love yeah uh What's it like, and I'll, I'll let you go because I know you're, you're busy. What's it What's it like now with two daughters, playing in the major leagues? I know they get to come to some games, or, and I remember Sissy telling Tori, go to as many as you can and enjoy right. the ride. Are they able yep. to travel much to, to go now, especially now with two?
1: Yeah. Um, that's something that we put in place in our marriage early on is we wouldn't go uh, more than seven days without seeing each other. So that's something we really try to stick as a kind of a hard line. Uh, hey, if we're going for 10 days on a road trip, they will come for one of the series, maybe it be three games or four games in a, in a city that they come spend time with me. Um, Lila is about to be three, start of the season, and Laney was born a couple of days before the postseason last year. So mm-hmm. the postseason was just uh, crazy with a newborn and, and first time in the postseason and traveling. And, and with, with the COVID protocols, it's been a little difficult to travel. Um, hopefully that loosens a little bit for us and we can move forward, but I really, I'm a father first and I'm a husband first and then a father and then a baseball player. And if my marriage is is out of order, then my being a a father to my kids is going to be out of order. And then that's going to lead into my professional career. I truly believe that. So as long as home, home life's healthy, um, we'll have plenty of time at the end of our career to to not travel if we don't want to. And, but now it's a demanding thing to do, but it's, it's well worth it. And that's something that, uh, commend Tori for just being able to do that and never complaining and, and always supporting me in my career. I think that's important.
0: I had one just like that. You know, you said that seven days, Jack Nicholas, uh, I think it was a week, maybe two max, and he would, right. of course, he made a lot of money, was able to fly in to watch his kids. and, and uh, But that's one thing he said, I will not be gone and I admire people. And that's, you know, Bruce Litsky was kind of my mentor. He was the same way. He took the whole summer off, stayed with his mm-hmm. family. And, and I'm with you, and, you know, your husband and, and your dad. And, and then it's, it's hard because to be elite sometimes, or at least in my sport, it's probably yours too, you have to almost be a little selfish uh, to be yep. great. And I think that's the struggle right. that, that once you start having kids – Not a struggle, but that's one of the challenges is is you do that, but you're doing a great job with that. But, buddy, I appreciate you spending some time with us, and uh, it's been fun. I can't wait to to cheer for the White Sox and and look forward to watching you play. And and we're going to play some golf, I promise. Uh, come on, we'll go play some golf come over to old waverly i've got a little condo over there we'll play mossy oak uh, maybe if it warms up before you head out uh west we'll go over and sneak out and play but i do play up and you can play those up tees with me or you can go in the back it's all <laughs> up to you <laughs> thank you i appreciate it jim thanks for having me also. all right partner i appreciate it tell tori and the girls appreciate we said hello it. i will see you